0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: Our reading is taken from the first letter of John, chapter 4, beginning to read at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us.
0: Linda, thank you very much for reading for us, and let me add my welcome to Paul's. It's great to have you with us here this morning. We're on page 1227 of the Pew Bibles, 1 John 4. Let's pray as we turn to God's word. Father, we would ask this morning that the truth of your word would speak with a louder voice in our hearts this morning than any other voice, the voice of our circumstances or our thoughts, our emotions, or the world around us. And to that end, we then ask for your great help by your Spirit to listen that way, we pray. Amen. I wonder how we respond when the pressure is on us. Imagine. One of the kids have been sick all night, you haven't slept a wink, you've been up with them and you stagger downstairs in the morning, exhausted and you discover that the load of washing you started the previous night has led to a flood in the kitchen floor and then as you're mopping up the floor you remember that you haven't ironed your shirt for the big presentation at work coming up in a few hours time and as you're there with a mop in one hand and a child in the other hand, the doorbell goes and it's a friend looking Distressed. Can I come in? Can I talk? I wonder how we respond when the pressure is on. Or imagine you're in the office and there is a deadline facing the whole team and everyone is under pressure. The boss is under pressure, all your colleagues are under pressure. There's a huge amount of work to be done. Everyone's working late and it's hard to imagine how all the work will get done on time. And in that moment of stress, someone comes up to your desk and says, Look, I just need to talk. Have you got a moment? I wonder how we respond when the pressure is on. It is often when we ourselves are under pressure that we find it the hardest to find the wherewithal within ourselves to reach out and to love someone else. It's true in the home, it's true in the office. And I think 1 John 4 would show us that it is also true in the church. 1 John has written to a group of genuine Christians who are experiencing heat. Not from the big bad world out there somewhere, but rather from people very close to them. People who claim genuine fellowship with God. But these people are false Christians. They are of the world, the world in the church, if you like. And they are causing these genuine Christians great distress. We saw last week that there was a disagreement about Jesus. You can imagine how stressful those debates would have been. A few weeks ago, we saw back in 1 John 3 verse 13 that John even said to his Christian readers about these false Christians. Verse 13, don't be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. There's the heat And the pressure on these genuine Christians. And it's from these worldly false Christians. And the world of 1 John, sadly, is so often the world that we live in today. I remember a church that I used to be involved in some years ago. And not this church. um, This other church was uh, thinking about doing a church plant. And there seemed to be an obvious opportunity there was an open door in some ways. There was a real need for the gospel to be preached there. And so the church family went to the bishop and said, could we do it? And the bishop said, no. The door was shut firmly, closed. There's the heat. And what happened next is that the church family were divided by the heat You see, some said, look, it's a gospel opportunity. The gospel matters so much. We have to press on, even without permission. But others said, but no, we have to respect the bishop. There's a a process to follow. We can't do it. And the external heat was causing these lovely Christian people to, to disagree and to fall out. External pressure can make it hard for genuine Christians to go on loving each other. And my fear is that in the years to come, as the church in this country, the wider church, moves increasingly far from the biblical view of Jesus and the cross, we're going to discover and find ourselves to be under increasing pressure from that kind of worldliness. And what will we do then as a church family? Well, John is very clear what he would have his readers to do. Verse 7. Dear friends... Let us love one another. But how? When the heat is on us and we experience pressure and we look within ourselves and find no capacity left to reach out and love other people, how then can we love our brothers and sisters in Christ? That's the question for us this morning and John shows us in these wonderful verses I've got three points for us this morning. The first is this. God is the source of love. That's from verses 7 to 8. God is the source of love. Look again at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those large country houses and you walk in the front door and there before you is this majestic sweeping spiral staircase and uh, if you've ever climbed up one of these staircases it's wonderful as you climb up and and you spiral around the the view that you behold changes as you move around but if it's big enough then you'll come back to the same position you started from but with a different view you're you're slightly higher up and in many ways one john is like a spiral staircase And uh, as we move through 1 John, we, we spiral around and we discover that we come back to the same view again and again, but from a different perspective. Well, it's true with this issue of love. Twice before, John has talked to us in significant ways about love, already in 1 John. But we come around for a third time, but this time the view has changed again. There is something extra here in 1 John 4 we haven't seen before, and I think it's this. God is the source of love. That's the new perspective. And, and look at how John brings this out. Verse 7, love comes from God. Then again, verse 7, everyone who loves has been born of God. You see, parents pass on their likeness to their children. Of course, the child can't choose what likeness they get from their parents. In my case, I fear I've got my Father's sense of humor I can't do much about it Um, in God's case what he passes on to his children it's his love and then verse 8 whoever does not love does not know God because God is love to know God is to have encountered the one who is love and that kind of encounter that relationship well it changes you You've encountered love, therefore, those who have had that experience, they love themselves. Some time ago, we were in North Wales on holiday, and uh, we were um, at one point up in the mountains walking around near Snowdon. And um, if you know the area behind Snowdon, just in the foothills of the mountains, there's a large reservoir. Now, there's a picture of a family holiday, and um, it's a wonderful sight. But we discovered as we walked around this reservoir that uh, there were some huge pipes that flowed out of the reservoir and down into the valley. Um, a massive, huge system of, of pumps and pipes feeding the valley floor below. I think, on uh, one hand, to kind of, there's a power generation um, uh, part of it, but also it was to feed the valley with water. You see, the valley was fed from this great source high up in the hills, this source of water. And that, I think, is the picture we find in 1 John 4. It is God's character. God is love. He is the source of love in the world. He feeds his people. As this great source of love cascades down and flows through his people. So genuine Christians are able to love others. And so John says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. John's going to say much more about what it means for God to be love. We'll think about that next week. But for now, John's point is, is very clear. God is the source of love. I think in the context of one, John, this is tremendous reassurance for the genuine Christian readers. The worldly false Christians, the reason why they hate you is because they don't know God. In other words, it's not you, dear Christian readers, it's them. But also these verses show us where we need to go to find the capacity to love other people, even when we ourselves are under pressure and have nothing left. You see, most of us can drum up a certain amount of love all on our own. If the conditions are right and the people are right and our mood is right, we can find some kind of love for people. In fact, in the world around us, in the wider world, we see all kinds of amazing examples of people who love, who don't know God at all. We can be often humbled by these people's willingness to to love in, in amazing ways. But I think John's point is this. If we rely on our own capacity and reserves of love, then eventually they will run out there'll be some circumstance some moment when we just don't have it we'll be like those petrol stations up and down france this morning that have run out of petrol because there's been no supply no refill and that is what will happen even to the christian as the heat the pressure the hassle comes on us we will run out of capacity to love But when we come to God, we discover a tremendous supply, a huge reserve of love that can never be exhausted and it enables and sustains in us the kind of love we could never produce on our own. God is the source of love. Wonderful words, but I reckon if I got speaking to many of you here this morning, there would be a problem because often in our experience of everyday living, God doesn't feel very loving. We look at our circumstances and we and we see difficulties in our lives, we see brokenness and we see tears and we, we have questions that aren't answered, and we wonder is God really all that loving? And so how can God's love feed our love? When we have those kind of questions in our minds, imagine John's readers, they're they're under it. There's huge pressure on them. That's the kind of circumstance that would lead anyone to question God's love. And so in that moment of hardness, how can we understand God's love? Well, that's our second point. God has shown us his love. And this is verses 9 to 10. God has shown us his love. Look at verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. The ultimate proof of God's love for us is not found in our daily experience or in the roller coaster ride of life. No, it is found once and for all in the historical events. When God sent Jesus into the world to die on a cross for us. And these words are stunning. Look at verse 10. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Look at how amazing this gift to us is. It was unprovoked. We did not love him. God is not returning a favor to us when he sends his son into the world. In fact, he's sending his son into a world, when he sent him, into a world full of hatred and rebellion. And when we experience hatred and rebellion, at our very best, we walk away without getting involved. But at the very worst, we retaliate and fight our corner. Not God. God sent his son. Ah, The gift was precious. Verse 9 tells us, he sent his one and only Son. Right back at the beginning of 1 John, chapter 1, verse 2, as John describes Jesus walking on the pages of history, he describes Jesus as the eternal, the eternal life who was with the Father. In other words, there's never been a moment in history past when the Father was not with the Son. They've always been together in a, a perfect father son relationship, perfectly knowing, perfectly loving. And so, for the father to send his one and only son into the world to die on a cross is to wrench apart an eternal, perfect relationship. There are fathers here in this room, you don't need me to tell you, he would do anything to protect and care for your son, your children. But the father sent his son. The gift was painful. Pain doesn't really get us anywhere near what the son endured when he was sent. As Jesus wept in the garden before uh, his death, what caused him such distress was not the thought of the trial or the beatings or the false accusations or his side being torn open or the nails being plunged into his hand, the blood being shed, the spear into his side, the the, the slow suffocation of crucifixion. No, what caused him such distress was the knowledge that he was about to drink the full cup of God's wrath and fury at the sin of the world. And that is what he did. For verse 10 tells us that he was the sacrifice of atonement, The sense there is that he bore in his body the full weight of God's righteous anger at our sin. His sacrifice diverted God's anger away from us onto him. The gift was personal. John says the Son was sent for our sins, for mine. For yours. God has shown us his love. And yet still, it can be hard to lift our eyes up from our present circumstances and struggles and to fix them on this huge, wonderful, costly, world-changing act of love. The famous preacher Charles Spurgeon once said this, we may not always be able to trace his hand but we can always trust his heart. Wonderful words. We can trust God's heart because we look to the cross and we see his love there. A little while ago, I came across a story of a boy in Australia who had been trapped in a swollen river. He was in the middle of the river, I think, clinging to a tree or something, and he was completely trapped. And a passerby, a man saw the boy in his plight And together with a few mates He, he, he tied a rope around his waist And he jumped into the torrents And he swam to the boy And here's a picture As they were tugged back to shore And back to safety He probably can't see it But on the boy's face There's utter terror As the man rescues him They, they, they both made it They're back on the bank safely I'm not sure what happened next But I'm, I'm pretty certain That once they got on the, on the bank gasping There were tears and hugs and thank yous. I'm almost certain what didn't happen next. I'm almost certain the man didn't turn around and push the boy back in the water. Why am I so certain? Because the man has demonstrated his attitude towards the boy by jumping in the river in the first place. He cares about him. And having demonstrated his heart towards the boy, he's not going to turn around and do him harm in the future. And that is, I think, the logic here in 1 John 4. God has demonstrated once and for all at the cross how he feels about his children. He loves us. And so he won't abandon us or neglect us or push us away. And I think as Christians, we have to work hard not to let our circumstances drown out the voice and the message of God's love seen at the cross I think often we struggle, it's as if God is crying out to us in one hand, look at how much I love you, look at my son, look at the nails to his hands and the blood shed, the spear in his side, look at how I judged him for you and how he died in your place, look I love you and then we respond but I didn't get the job I wanted or I didn't get the relationship I wanted. Look, these things matter. There can be real pain in the world. But John says, fix your eyes on the ultimate proof that God does love you, not on your circumstances. I think we have to choose consciously to lift our eyes from the here and now and look at the cross and remind ourselves how God has shown his love. Well, finally, our third point. God calls us to love others. This is verses 11 to 12. Look at verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John's logic is unavoidable. God's love for us is like a, a tremendous, powerful engine. And when everything is hooked up as it should be, that power will drive the genuine Christian forward to love in tremendous and extraordinary ways, ways in which we could never do on our own, even when we are under pressure and heat. God calls us to love others. And yet, I speak for myself, and I imagine I speak for many others. We so often do struggle to love other Christians, as we know we should. Why? Why is it so hard to love? Why, why doesn't the cross energize us the way we know it should? Well, partly I think, as we've seen already, our, our circumstances can make us question God's love, and when we question God's love, our, our hearts are starved of the supply that we need to fuel our own love for others. But also, perhaps, I wonder if. For some of us, we struggle to believe we really are forgiven. There'll be some here today who think back to those particular sins. We can't forgive ourselves, let alone God, we think. Does God really, eternally, fully, completely, forever forgive me of those sins? You see, if we are plagued by guilt and our hearts condemn us, it is very hard to be a person who can love others. John says, we are completely forgiven. There'll be others who have the opposite problem. We don't think we're that bad. Now, we probably wouldn't say this consciously, out loud, or even in our hearts kind of knowingly, but I wonder if some of us have a narrative going on in our hearts which says something like this, I'm one of the good ones. I'm a likable person. I'm, I'm I'm a presentable kind of person. Oh, it's good to have the cross as a backup for the occasional slip. But but any given moment or day, I don't really need the cross. John says that kind of person walks in the dark. A proud heart is also a heart that struggles to love others. But whether our hearts condemn us or whether we struggle with pride... One John 4 shows us that the cross, and only the cross, is where our sins have been dealt with once and for all. If we are to be a church family that is able to go on loving each other in extraordinary and remarkable ways, even when it's hard, we must keep the cross of Christ front and centre in our own hearts and in the corporate life of the church But sadly, I think many Christians don't. A few years ago, I attended a training day on ecumenical partnerships. We're thinking lots about how Christians from different traditions and backgrounds can come together and unite. And one of the key thoughts that we were asked to engage with and even accept was that love and unity matter more than truth. Just a year ago, um, a well-known Christian leader in this country, a person I think many of you would know if I mentioned his name, a well-known leader, said from a, a stage at a major conference, he said this, Ultimately, unity is not doctrinal. It is relational. I think that's what many people think. It's what many Christians think. Oh, truth and, and doctrine well, that, that, can be very dry and divisive. And it can be, absolutely. But then people say, well, in order to kind of love other Christians, we need to downplay those sort of things, truth and doctrine, in order to clear the path for love and unity. It sounds so plausible and appealing. And yet it's completely at odds with 1 John. We can only love others as God would have us when we have the truth about Jesus and the cross front and center in our hearts and in our lives. To water down that truth and that doctrine is to be like a, a racing car driver trying to go faster by disengaging the engine. It doesn't work. Instead, a firm grasp of the truth about Jesus is precisely what we need to find the reserves to love others, even when it's hard. And this is why the false Christians of 1 John do not love. They have a wrong view of Jesus and the cross. I think this explains verse 12. John writes, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Uh, The false teachers were saying to John's readers... Jesus Christ hasn't come in the flesh. You haven't seen him before your own very eyes. You don't know God at all. John says, okay, dear readers, yes, you haven't seen God in the flesh yourselves, although we have, the apostles, but John says to his readers, okay, you haven't seen him face to face, but we do know that you have genuine fellowship with God because of how you love other Christians. Christmas is coming. There are only 209 days until Christmas. Which means that very soon we're going to, most of us, experience the Christmas tree light battle. You know how it works? You go to the, uh, the loft and you bring out the dusty box of Christmas tree lights. And you, you plug them in and switch them on and nothing happens. And your heart sinks. Because there in front of you is a, is a, t- a tangled mess of 50 light bulbs. Somewhere there's a broken circuit You've got to test every bulb, find the weak link, replace it. But you know you've done your job properly when you replace the bulb, you've plugged the, the lights back in, and you flick the switch, and phew, there before you is sparkling light. The circuit is complete when that happens. I think that's the sense in verse 12. God's love is made complete amongst his children. The circuit is complete, if you like, that God's enormous reservoir of love for his people is is flowing down, cascading down through us into others, and all the connections are working in our hearts and minds. We know that's happening. It's all in place when we see other Christians loving people, even when it's hard and they're under pressure and they have no capacity left to love each other. That's when we know that Christ's love is made complete amongst his people. It's a wonderful sight. And for both the Christians and for the false Christians of 1 John, it's a sure sign that God is present amongst these genuine Christians. Sadly, one of the signs that a church family is losing connection with the power supply, with God's love demonstrated at the cross, one of the signs is seen in lovelessness amongst the church family sadly over the years I've been to visit various church families and walked into church meetings and you can sense I'm sure you've had the same experience you can sense in in the room that something's wrong with regard to love people don't sit together people don't talk and share lives together They, they come late and they leave early there's no desire to invest in each other may it not happen here There'll be a chance over the next few weeks to talk in our small groups, to think further about what it would look like to love each other this way. Our love is to be like the love of God. It's to be unprovoked. It is to be giving what is precious of ourselves to others. It will be at times painful for us to love and it will be about other people. It'll be personal. But as we talk in our small groups let us remember the great engine that drives the love in our hearts is God's love demonstrated at the cross. Let's pray. Father, we would pray that your word would speak with a louder voice in our hearts this morning than any other voice that we might have going on in our our hearts, our minds, our emotions, our circumstances. We pray that even now, that your spirit would help us to be convicted all afresh about the tremendous love that God has for each of us seen at the cross. That our hearts would be moved and equipped and refilled that we might love others.